Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 this is the biggest day of his life and he stands in front of a crowd full of people his suit is pressed his shoes are polished not a hair is out of place he's freshly cleanly shaven his breath smells good he straightens his tie one last time and the pastor standing next to him straightens his little flower on his collar there just for a moment because this is the moment he's been waiting for. This is the moment that his bride is going to walk into the room. And so the music begins to blare. The doors at the back of the sanctuary fling wide open. Everyone rises to their feet in anticipation of this moment of the bride coming down the aisle to meet with her groom. And she Rounds the corner, she comes down the middle aisle, and everyone's eyes are on her, and there she is at the back of the room with curlers in her hair, an avocado mud mask, and I know that that's a thing because I have two daughters. She's got her bathrobe on with uh, ketchup stains and chocolate sauce stains, and for some of you ladies out there, you're thinking, this sounds like a typical Friday night for me, right? She walks down the aisle. She still has a teeth whitener on her teeth, and she's coming, and she's approaching her groom, and there's just such a disappointment in the groom's face because this was supposed to be the moment where he saw his bride for the very first time, but she didn't bother to get ready. She didn't bother to get prepared. There he was, clean, pure, ready for entering into this covenant relationship, and the bride didn't put the same worth into this ceremony that the groom did and his heart sinks, and everyone in the crowd just wonders, what was she thinking? The fact of the matter is, my friends, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be asking that same question about the church. What was the church thinking? See, the Bible tells us that we as the church, we're the bride of Christ, and that Jesus is our bridegroom, and we need to be ready for his return. We need to be ready for the moment that he comes to receive us. And so here's where maybe the analogy breaks down just a little bit, because in the Hebrew customs, it wasn't the bride that came to the groom. It was the groom that came to the bride, but the bride had to be ready. She had to be ready at whatever time. She didn't know when the groom would come to receive her, so she had to make sure that she was bathed and clean and dressed because the groom could come at any time, and she didn't want to disappoint her groom. Church, if Jesus were to come today, if Jesus were to come in these next few moments, my fear is that he would be sadly disappointed in the condition of his bride, the church. And you see, it's our job, it's our calling, really. It is our conviction as church leadership 
to make sure that we take the necessary precautions, that we do what we can do to prepare the bride for the return of the groom, to prepare the bride for the coming of Jesus. And so that's why we're taking a little pause for the next few weeks, to focus on what's happening in our world, what's happening in our culture. And if you look around, there's such confusion, there's madness, there is chaos. And what we want to do is we want to take this opportunity to teach you, the bride of Christ, how to view what's happening in your world, to see what's happening in this culture of ours, in this country of ours, as things are just falling apart and they're, they're just coming apart at the seams. We want you to read these things, to read the news through the lens of Scripture. We want you to understand why things are happening, not just to understand or not just to see what's happening, but to understand biblically from a biblical perspective why these things are happening, which is a whole nother layer of responsibility that you as the church, you as the bride of Christ have. See, when Jesus came onto the scene in Matthew chapter 16, he looks at the religious leaders and his heart is aching and he questions. He says to them, you can see the sky. You, you can see the, the signs in the sky. You check the color of the sky and you can forecast weather by looking at the signs in the sky. But you can't understand the signs and the seasons for which the Father has put in the authority. You, you don't see what's happening right under your noses. You don't see prophecy unfolding. How is it that you can tell the weather but you can't ascertain what's happening right now in your midst? You should have been ready. And my fear, church, is that if Jesus were to come today, he would have those same words for you and for me. Not just the religious leaders of the day, not just the Jews of the day, but he would speak the same thing to the church, the bride of Christ today. He said, you should have seen the signs. You should have understood what was going on. You know how to ascertain the weather, but you didn't get the signs. You didn't, we weren't ready. You weren't prepared. You weren't washed. You weren't clean for when I would come. I wonder if that would be speaking of you specifically this morning. See, what we're going to do is we're going to look at, through, through the lens again of Scripture, of what is taking place, what is transpiring in our life. And I want this to be an encouragement to, to you. I want this to stir your heart with an expectation and an anticipation for the coming Jesus. He is going to come, and it should cause our hearts to skip a beat. It should cause our countenance to be lifted the weight should be lifted when we understand God's plan of redemption and his return, his soon coming return right around the corner. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up your Bibles today to Leviticus chapter 23. And while you're turning there, let me read to you what this says in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, God said this. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of heavens to separate day from night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. I'm going to make two great lights, God says, that are going to be to govern one the day and one the night, but they're going to be specifically for the purpose of signs and for seasons and for you to keep track of days and years. Now, you notice that word signs there. I want you to understand, God says, by how these, these great lights orbit, by how these great lights work and interact with the earth, I want them to be able to be markers for you to tell what is happening on a prophetic timeline, okay? Now, this blows my mind because, like, the, the, the scientists tell us that the sun is actually 400 times the size of the moon, but the moon is 400 times closer to the earth than the sun, so in appearance, they appear to be the same size. Now, the, you, if you read scientific journals, if you Google this, the scientists will say, in a great coincidence, the sun happens to be 400 times larger than the moon and the moon 400 times closer to the earth than the sun. But we know 
don't we, that God created them both. God created the earth as well. God created everything that we see. And there is no coincidence. There is no chance. God did exactly what he said he was going to do. I'm going to give you two lights so you can recognize signs and seasons and days and years. All right, now, in the midst of this, God comes to his people, Israel, and he says in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 1 and 2, read it with me. The Lord said to Moses, saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. That term appointed feasts is really appointed days. In, in the Hebrew, it's moedim, and it means appointed days or appointed times, right? So there's appointed times that I'm giving to them. God has already said, I'm going to give you the, the sun and the moon so you can ascertain the signs and the days, and the seasons, and the months, the years, right? I'm going to give these to you. Now, we should be looking for something to happen in the heavens that is going to be an indicator of time, all right? We're going to come back around to it. Make sure you keep that in the back of your head. So in the course of Leviticus chapter 23, God lays out seven major feasts that the children of Israel are supposed to celebrate, and they're supposed to celebrate these First off, in commemoration and remembrance of what God has done for them, his goodness, his faithfulness, his provision. But secondly, they're to worship in the form of these feasts, celebrate these feasts in anticipation of what God will do in the future. Commemoration and anticipation. The first four feasts that God speaks about, you can read all this later on in Leviticus 23. It's homework, right? Go home and do your homework. Leviticus 23, the first four feasts take place in our spring. And in the spring, these first four feasts, Jesus came and he fulfilled them on the exact moment, the exact day that it was prescribed that God said that they would happen. These appointed times, these were appointed times for Jesus to come and to fulfill. The first of these feasts is called Passover. The people of Israel look back at the Passover, the exodus from Egypt. When they were set free from their bondage and their slavery, they celebrated the Passover lamb. That if they had the blood of the Passover lamb upon uh, uh, there upon their doorpost that the angel of death passed over them they were delivered from death the death of the firstborn the plague of the firstborn in egypt so they celebrate this looking back in commemoration but in anticipation they were supposed to be waiting for the lamb of god that would come the lamb of god that would take away the sins of the world as as john the baptist would say behold the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world they're supposed to be waiting for god to provide this lamb jesus came and he was crucified at the very time that the lambs were being sacrificed for the meals for the Passover celebration, the Seder dinner. Now, that's not just a coincidence. That was an appointed time that God had prescribed, and Jesus came, and he fulfilled it perfectly. The second feast is the feast of unleavened bread, and what the children of Israel do, would do is they would go throughout their home, and they would find any bread that had leaven or any leaven within their home, that leaven symbolized sin. And they would take all of that sin out of their homes. And it was a symbol, a reminder that they had to leave with haste when they left Egypt. They had to leave in a hurry because the Egyptians were pursuing them. So they didn't have time for their bread to rise, right? But that, that leaven symbolizes sin. So to remember, look back, commemorate what God had done in anticipation, they were supposed to be thinking of remembering that God is going to send the bread of life. Jesus is our bread of life. And the scripture says that God made him to be sin. He became sin for us. And in the same sense, Jesus, when he became sin, was taken outside of the city, crucified on Golgotha, the, the, the sin taken out, the leaven taken out. Jesus fulfilled this feast on the exact time that it was prescribed, the exact appointed time. 
The third feast of the, is the feast of first fruits. This was celebrated three days after Passover. Jesus rose from the dead as the first fruits of the dead, again, fulfilling perfectly that appointed time. The fourth feast in the fall, or excuse me, in the, in the spring, is the feast of Pentecost, which happens 50 days after first fruits, and it was to celebrate the wheat harvest. This is what ushers in the harvest of the church age. This is when the church begins to be saved and the Holy Spirit falls upon the church and the church begins to do amazing things in the book of Acts. You can read it in chapter 2, right? And so it celebrates God's provision in the harvest, but it also anticipates the harvest of the church. If there's a harvest of souls that's going to take place, Jesus fulfilled this perfectly. He fulfilled all four of these feasts, these appointed times, in his first coming. Now, the three other feasts, the three remaining feasts, those are going to take place in the fall. And we believe, and we, we believe from Scripture, I hope that you'll believe when you leave today that Jesus will fulfill those as well, because we're going to see how Jesus will fulfill those in his second coming. The spring feast fulfilled in his first coming, the fall feast fulfilled in his second coming. And the first one of those feasts which will take place is the Feast of Trumpets. Now, reason with me just for a moment. There's three and a half months in between the time where, where Pentecost take place, takes place and the Feast of Trumpets takes place. That three and a half months is the season, the times that we're living in today. Pastor Walter read this last week, spoke about this last week in Romans chapter 11. It says this, let you, uh, let you be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. The word mystery means something that used to be hidden but has now been revealed. I don't want you to miss this, Paul says to the Romans. A partial, partial hardening has come upon Israel. They have a blinder. They read the scriptures and they don't understand completely what's happening. But listen to this. It's, that blinder is there. That hardness of, is there. That hardening in Israel is there until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Between those fall feasts or the spring feast and the fall feast, three and a half months. Three and a half months during which that time speaks of the gathering of the church, the building up of the church, the, the saving of the church, the church being added to, the church being grafted in as God's chosen, being brought into the vine, that we didn't belong there but it, by God's grace. And because of the hardening of Israel, God is bringing us as a part of this vine, growing the church. And that's going to happen. That growing of the church will happen until the Feast of Trumpets. These are the days that we're living in right now. Now, in Colossians chapter 2, God's word says this, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions about food or drink or with regard to festivals or noon moons or Sabbaths. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And you see, for these religious people, their life revolved around these festivals, but they missed the point of these festivals. They were worshiping in the shadows. Right? They didn't really truly understand the anticipation that they should have been placing in the Messiah to come. They weren't ready for the groom when he came. They, they were worshiping in the shadows, but the substance, the meat, the physical form belongs to Christ. And when Christ has come, when the substance has come, there's no need to begin or to continue worshiping in the shadows. My friends, my desire for you today is that you no longer worship God in the shadows. You no longer try to feel your way in the dark. God wants you to know his prophetic plan. God wants you to know the time in which he will return. God wants you to be excited about that time, anticipating that moment for the groom to, to come. Now, I can't give you the date, and I'm not going to give you a date today, so I hope you don't get your hopes up too much, right? But we're going to understand prophetically the feast that Jesus will fulfill 
in his second coming, when he comes for the church, when he comes for the bride. I hope you're with me. I hope you're with me. So beginning what we're going to do now is we're going to look at the very next prophetic feast, appointed time on God's prophetic calendar, and that is the Feast of Trumpets. And just so you understand how important this is, I'm going to give you the date of the next Feast of Trumpets. This happens every year, and it actually commemorates the Jewish New Year called Rosh Hashanah. It's the beginning of their civil calendar. This is when their calendar changes dates, okay? It's between September 18th and September 20th of this, just this coming week. That's how soon this is. The next prophetic event, the next prophetic cal- or, uh, uh, a feast on the prophetic calendar for Jesus to fulfill, which he will fulfill in his second coming, is happening this week. The church needs to be ready. So here's what we're going to do. Take out your outlines. If you have those, or if you're following along along the app or in the app, we're going to look at the first point now. And first thing I want you to understand about this feast of trumpets, why God had given this to the children of Israel to celebrate, is because they were supposed to look back in remembrance. Read with me Leviticus chapter 23, verse 23. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying in the seventh month, that's the seventh month on on their religious calendar. It's the first month in their civil calendar. Kind of like we have a fiscal year and we have an actual year or we have like an academic year and we have the actual year, January 1st. They had multiple calendars, all right? The seventh month of the religious calendar is the first month of the civil calendar, the head of the year, Rosh Hashanah. So he's saying this now, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with a blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. You shall not present a food offering, or you shall present a food offering to the Lord. This is a special day, he says, and this is to commemorate. You want, I, I want this to be a memorial for you, a day of remembrance. In Hebrew, it's called, it's called Yom Zikaron, a literally day of remembrance. Okay, so this Rosh Hashanah, this, this uh, Feast of Trumpets is also known as Yom Zikaron. If you're taking notes, write that down, day of remembrance. But it's interesting because the Lord doesn't specifically tell us what the children of Israel were supposed to remember. So the rabbis conjectured and they, be, they, they put together basic, three basic forms of remembrance that they believe God wanted the children of Israel to celebrate on this day of remembrance, on Yom Zikaron. The first was the creation of man. So on this day, they're to remember God in his grace, creating man to have a relationship with man. The second was the institution of the law. So God, on this day, with a blast of trumpets, the scripture says, when God delivered the commandments to Moses, there was a huge blast of a trumpet, and the people were frightened and afraid. There was lightning and thunder and this crazy stuff around Mount Sinai was going on. And the people said to Moses, Moses, you go talk to God. We're too frightened to go talk to God. You talk to God on our behalf. You be be our representative, if you will right? That was commemorated. That happened. The law was given with an incredible blast of a shofar from the Lord, right? And so they're remembering the institution of the law, the giving of God's law. But the third thing, and what I really want to focus on here, is they were to focus on a provision of the sacrifice. Now, interestingly enough, when the Jews celebrate the Feast of Trumpets, they celebrate the Feast of Trumpets with the text that they really don't understand what they're reading, but they celebrate it with the text out of Genesis chapter 21 and 22. And in Genesis chapter 21 and 22, God, God is giving us the story of Isaac, the promised son. And Isaac there, Isaac there is, 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 is this, the story of the binding of Isaac, 
right? And so Isaac is bound. He's bound by Abraham. They go up to this mountain, which ends up being the same mountain upon which the temple is constructed. And Abraham is told by the Lord, I want you to sacrifice the son of promise. I know I promised you, promised you this son. I want you to sacrifice him on the mountain for me. So Abraham goes up to this mountain and he has Isaac with him and he's carrying the fire and he's carrying the knife. And Isaac looks to his father and says, Father, I see the knife. I see the fire. But where's the sacrifice? And Abraham looks his son in the eye, his promised son, and he says, God will provide himself the sacrifice. So they go up to the mountain. Now, in, in the Hebrew, this is called the Akedah, and they actually read this during the Passover sometimes, they read this text, but they read this very text about the binding of Isaac in celebration, in anticipation of this Feast of Trumpets. This is the text that they read in the synagogue as they celebrate the Feast of Trumpets. Now, again, put yourself in the shoes here of, of Abraham. There he is. He's raising the knife. His son Isaac is bound upon the altar. He's ready to plunge the knife into his son in obedience to God. And there from the midst of, 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 of the clouds, God says, stop. Now I know you love me. And Abraham looks up and he sees off into the distance. He sees a ram caught by its horns in the bushes. And he brings that ram and he sacrifices that ram in place of his son. Now, this is what really blows my mind about this, is in the Talmud, which is a commentary, an account, or it's a commentary of the Hebrew text, the Hebrew Old Testament scriptures. In this commentary, the commentators actually refer to this lamb as the lamb that had been slain before the foundation of the world. In the Haggadah, which is the te- it means the telling in the Hebrew, the telling at the Seder dinner, when they talk about this story in Genesis chapter 22, this is what they say of this lamb, the, of, uh, speaking of the Lord. I heard from behind the heavenly veil these words, not Isaac, but the ram predestined for the burnt offering. Right? So they read this text about a lamb that was meant to be slain before the foundations of the world. And this is what it says in Revelation chapter 13, speaking of Jesus. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have been written in the book of life of the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold the Passover lamb and behold the lamb that was caught in the thickets. Behold the lamb that was predestined to be sacrificed before the foundations of the world in my place and in your place. This is what they were supposed to be worshiping. They were supposed to be anticipating. Yes, looking back and remembering Isaac and the binding, the Akedah, but looking forward to the fact that Jesus would be the fulfillment of that ram caught in the thickets. Their hearts should have been prepared. They should have identified these signs when they came. Now, it says very specifically here in this text that it's not only to be this memorial, but it's also to be proclaimed with a blast of trumpets. The, the, the word or the way that they say this in Hebrew is yom ter, uh, teruah. And teruah doesn't mean trumpets. It actually means shouting or blasting or blowing. So literally the day, the day they call it the day of shouting, the day of blasting, the day of blowing. Right? So you celebrate this, you commemorate this with these trumpets that will resound. And so trumpets customarily during those days were, were only used for certain, uh, certain activities in the Hebrew life. One was celebration. When celebration would happen, they would blow the trumpets. Another would be as a form of caution. When their enemy was attacking, they would blow the trumpets. When they were going out to war, they would blow the trumpets. When a king was being coronated, they would blow the trumpets. 
right? So there are these moments in time where Israel would bring out their trumpets and blow these trumpets, right? But the most important of all of these, these blasts of the trumpets had to do with the gathering of God's people. You see, God, could, uh, God commanded the Israelites in Numbers chapter 10 to make some silver trumpets. Let me read it to you. Numbers chapter 10. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Make two silver trumpets of hammered work you shall make them, and you shall use them for summoning the congregation and for breaking camp. And when both are blown, all the congregation shall gather themselves to you at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Make two silver trumpets. When both of these trumpets are blown, all of the people need to come from wherever they're at whatever they're doing, and come to the camp of the Lord because God's Spirit is going to move us on to another place. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977